Following Jesus requires giving up some things. Trent Griffith explains. The way you become a follower of Christ is you surrender your sin to Christ. We surrender our fears to God. We surrender our rights. We surrender our wealth. We don't just pay taxes to Caesar. We give all of our wealth to God and say, God, whatever you want, it all belongs to you. You just take it and move it around. Thanks for letting me use some of it. It all belongs to you. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Have you ever had an argument with someone on social media? It's easy to take sides on some issues, and many of us are quick to put that debating cap on and try to explain all the reasons we hold a particular view. Well, related to that, have you ever managed to change someone else's opinion through an online debate? Or has anyone on social media changed your thinking on a topic? Maybe it's time we rethink how we go about expressing our opinions and debating issues. Today, Pastor Trent will talk about divisiveness and its solution. This was recorded last May when many people were getting all up in arms about having to wear masks in public. Here's Pastor Trent. Here's a good question. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do if he needed to buy paint and was told to wear a mask? Um, What would Jesus do if he was living under a political regime that was oppressive and, and, and corrupt didn't value religious freedom, what, what would he do? Would, would he start a, a rebellion? Would he accuse them of being tyrannical? What would he do? Oh, 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 wait a minute, wait, wait. We don't have to guess. All we have to do is open our Bibles because we have a historical record of Jesus living in a culture that was being dominated by an oppressive, overreaching government. At this season that we're about to read right now in Luke chapter 20, the Jews, the God-fearing people, were living under Roman rule. And the emperor was a man named Caesar Tiberius. And Caesar Tiberius was a man who was incredibly oppressive to his people. Why don't we just take time to read here in Luke chapter 20, beginning here in verse 19. And the scribes and the chief priests, those were the religious leaders, they sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. If you were listening last week, the previous paragraph here is about Jesus telling a a parable about these wicked tenants that beat up and destroyed and kicked out and even killed the son of the owner of the vineyard. And they perceived, hey, you're talking about us. So Jesus offended them. And they wanted to seize him, it says, but they feared the people because Jesus was very popular with the people. Verse 20 says, so they watched him and they sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said as to deliver him up to the authority and the jurisdiction of the governor. That would have been the Roman governor, Pilate, who had been sent by Caesar Tiberius into uh, the, the land of Israel to govern it. Verse 21 says, And so they ask him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly. You can hear the sarcasm in their voice. And show no partiality, but, but truly teach the way of God. And they devised a question that would test where Jesus 
in his political views. And so we have the question, verse 21, it simply says this, is it lawful for us to wear a mask? No, that's not what I said. Sorry, that was, that was an interpretation. In verse 22, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Notice how binary their question is. No compromise, no, no room for, no wiggle room, no middle ground here. The question that they ask, is it lawful to pay tribute to Caesar or not, is rooted in this. What is the government's power to tell God-fearing people what they can and they can't do? So what do you think Jesus said? Now, their question involved taxes. This tribute was a tax, and there were lots of taxes. I'm sure you can't relate to, to this at all, but there were property taxes and sales taxes and income taxes. But the Roman emperor had instituted a new tax. It was called the head tax. And this head tax was simply for the privilege of being ruled by Caesar. And it wasn't a lot of money. It was just a small amount of money, but it was more what it represented. When that tax was put into place, there was such a revolt. 25 years earlier, before this scene, before this question, there was an uprising. There was a revolt against Rome. And so if Jesus says, pay the tax, he's going to lose the support of the people. But if he says, no, don't pay the tax, he's going to be killed by the authorities. They thought they knew how he would answer. They thought that he would say, no, Caesar's not your king. I've come to lead a revolution. I'm the true and better king. Who's with me? But that's not what he says. He refuses to be put in a political box. Jesus is not a conservative Republican. And Jesus is not a progressive Democrat. The conservatives in this story, the scribes, they think he's too progressive. And the progressives in this story, Caesar, they think he's too conservative. That's what Jesus does. And by the way, that doesn't mean that Jesus occupies a squishy place in the middle where he doesn't take a stand. Jesus is the better conservative. He's the better chief priest. And he's the better Caesar. He's the better king in such a way that when he rules, he always rules perfectly with complete wisdom and discernment and grace and love and justice. You see, Jesus came to agitate and to confront and to claim authority over both political parties. Jesus calls conservatives to repent. Jesus calls progressives to repent. Jesus refuses to be put in a political box and you should too. Do you know why? Because as Christians, we are kingdom citizens first. We are dual citizens as Christians. And our citizenship in the kingdom of God always transcends our citizenship in the kingdoms of this world. I want to take you to another place in Scripture. This is uh, written by the Apostle Peter. And before I even read this, I want you to understand the way that Peter died. He died hanging on a cross, upside down, crucified by an oppressive government. 
And this is what he says to us. He's speaking to a church. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Do you notice the descriptions that he uses? Sojourners. You know what that is? That's a temporary resident. That's someone that's just passing through. This world is not my home. The Republican Party is not my home. The Democratic Party is not my home. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm just on my way to a better place. That's one of the reasons we named our church Gospel City Church, and we've said this. We are a city within a city. We have a citizenship within the broader citizenship of our communities. We're a city sent to the city. We we don't just live in the city. We're sent to the city to be the voice of the gospel to the city. And that we are a city longing for a better city. We're on our way to a city where there's always justice. There's no corruption. The reign, the rule of Jesus is unrivaled. It's not a two-party system. It's a one-party system and everybody there is fully serving Jesus in an environment of justice. King Jesus is our king. He calls us sojourners. But then secondly, he calls us exiles. Now you would have to read your Old Testament to understand the significance of that word. The, The people of God were promised a land. And you know what they did? They created a theocracy. The only theocracy that's ever existed on the planet. And do you know what happened? It was an absolute disaster. People lost their hearts for serving God. And even though they complied in their behavior at times, eventually they lost their heart for God. And as a result, God sent judgment and they were taken out of the land, the promised land, and they were brought into exile under the tyrannical reign of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. And they were exiles. They were removed from the place where they belonged. And Peter looks at us and says, you know what you are? You're a sojourner and you are an exile. That's what we are. We're living as exiles. We're living under a government that doesn't understand us. They don't get us. And it's because we're not quite home yet. And Peter says, understand, this is the way that we are to live. And understand the passions of your flesh. A lot of passion around politics. The passions of our flesh can create all kinds of rage when we don't get our way. But then he says this, that's what's waging war. The war is not on the outside coming to you. The war is on the inside. And he says you've got to make sure you defend against the war on the inside of you. He continues, he says this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, which they will because we're trying to serve and love Jesus, and they don't get us, they call us evildoers. They're going to speak evil against us, but when they do, if our conduct is honorable, notice what he says, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Do you understand what's at stake here? It's the glory of God. It's not about your comfort. It's not about your freedom. It's not about your rights. It's about the glory of God. And when they see a simple good deed, which in our context may just be as simply a mask, as doing this. To to do a good deed, 
it's like, am, is, is this restricting me? It's like, it's no fun. I, I don't like this, but could I do this for the glory of God so that I look like a good citizen as an exile in a land where I don't belong? This world is not our home. We, we need to understand there's a better place waiting for us. And understand this, our church must have room for those who hold diverse political positions while never compromising on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're a gospel community. We're married and single and male and female and rich and poor and young and old and Irish and Wolverines and Sooners for crying out loud can come and bring ourselves under the authority of the Word of God and all of us as sinners repent as we have God as our King. Our citizenship in the kingdom of God transcends our citizenship in the kingdoms of this world. Secondly, our citizenship in the kingdom of God should make us better citizens in the world. Peter continues in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. He says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor, who is he talking about? Caesar, as supreme, or to governors, he was speaking of Pilate at that point, who killed Jesus, or to governors as sent by him to do two things, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. Do you want to know what the will of God is? Everybody's searching like, what is the will of God? I just wish you, wish you knew what the will of God is. Here's the will of God. He tells you in his word that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So he tells us, live as people who are free. Yes, you are free. And as a citizen of heaven, you are free. He says, live as those who are free. But notice this, not using your freedom as a cover-up, not using your freedom as a mask for evil. See, that's the real mask that causes the division, is somehow thinking that when I promote my freedom, it's a mask for just getting what I want and not sacrificing my freedom for the good of others. But he says, living as servants of God, and then hear this. He boils it down for us, four simple commands. Honor everyone, even people you disagree with, even unbelievers, even people who have an entirely different worldview than you. Honor them. People in the other party, people on the other side, honor everyone. And then he says, love the brotherhood. See, that's talking about the church. Not fighting and being devices, but we have to love one another. And then fear God. That's the fear that removes every other fear. And then honor the emperor. Christians are commanded by God to obey their authorities up to the point we cannot obey God. Disobeying government is disobedience to God unless obedience to God demands disobeying government. So before you disobey your government, you better be able to point to some specific command in Scripture that you would be required to disobey. And by the way, American Christians, 
what in the world do we have to complain about? American Christians who complain that their government is oppressive owe an apology to our brothers and sisters in Christ who live in other places in the world where there is true tyranny. You are not living under tyranny because your government asks you to wear a mask or stay at home. And the simple fact that you have the freedom to post your complaint on Facebook about it is the evidence you're not living under tyranny. Listen, when your government requires you to renounce your faith in Christ or die like brothers and sisters in Christ in the other parts of the world, then you can make your Facebook post about living under tyranny. You say, but our government's so corrupt. Every government is corrupt because every government is governed by fallen corrupt men. As a matter of fact, in America, I think our government is so good, it gives us the illusion it could be perfect if only I was in charge. But if you were in charge, you'd corrupt it too because the problem is on the inside. The corruption is not out there, it's in here. The corruption's not in the White House, the corruption's in my house. Story continues in Luke chapter 20. Verse 23 says this, let's find out how it ends. But he perceived, Jesus perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius. That was a coin that was used to pay the tax. And he says, whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So Jesus says, show me a coin. Show, anybody got a coin? Now notice, the reason Jesus had to ask someone to show him a coin is because he didn't have a coin. So he asked for someone to show him a coin. They pull out a coin. Would you like to see a a picture of a denarius. Here's an actual denarius. On one side, you have the image of Caesar Tiberius, just like you pull out a quarter today and you see, um, you know, one of our dead presidents there. And so that's on one side. On the other side, there's a picture of Tiberius sitting on a throne, but he's also dressed in priestly garments. And so when the Jews looked at this, do you know what they immediately thought? First thing they thought is this, that is a violation of the second commandment. And, and they, they didn't even want to be found with these coins on them. They, didn't, they felt like it, it, was, it was blasphemy for the image of Caesar to be stamped on a coin. Jesus says, show it to me. Don't be afraid of it. Just, just show it to me. Whose who's picture's on that? Whose image is on the coin? And when he said the word image, those scribes that knew the Bible better than anyone, when he said the word image, there's not a doubt in my mind, they thought of the first page of our Bibles. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Do you know what it says? It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Every one of us has the image of God stamped into our lives. As much as the image of Caesar was stamped into that coin, the image of God is stamped into our hearts. We were made, we were created for the purpose of displaying the image, the likeness of God.
the inscription on the other side of that coin, you might have been able to notice it there in foreign language, but this is what was stamped on there. It says, Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. On the coin, Caesar is claiming to be the son of God. Listen, there will always be claims that are not true. There will always be claims of government leaders for things that don't belong to them. So what does Jesus do? Does Jesus say pay the tax or does he say not pay the tax? He just simply says, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar and render unto God the things that are God. The word render, what does that, that's an important word. Render, we don't use that much anymore. Does it mean give, what does it mean? It means to give back that which has already been given to you. And Jesus was saying, the only reason you have that coin is because it was given to you by Caesar, he made it. It came out of his own wealth. He stamped it, put his image on it. It belongs to him. So if he wants it back, then give it to him. That is your responsibility. So here's the point. We are to render responsibility to Caesar, but render our love to God. We display the image of God when we reflect the love of God. We display the image of God when we reflect the grace of God. We reflect the unity of the Trinity when we live together in unity and community. And we distort the image of God when we have a divisive spirit that pulls us into opposite poles. So render to Caesar what belongs to him. We have a responsibility to pay taxes. We have a responsibility to vote. You should vote. Better than that, run for office. Get inside of there and call your particular party to repentance. That's what it means to render responsibility. But it also says we should render honor to Caesar, but render our worship only to God. You see, Caesar wants more than he deserves. And we should give him what he deserves, but not what he wants. There are things that exclusively belong to God. We're to render our attention to Caesar, but render our allegiance to God and God alone. Listen, never render absolute allegiance to any man. The two political parties want our absolute allegiance to all the things on their particular platform. As Christians, we'll never be able to do that because the gospel critiques and rebukes and calls both to repentance. The word render here may not be a, a word that you use as much, but there's another one that's a Bible word that's based on that. It's, it's one you're more familiar with. It's this, don't just render, surrender. Surrender your sin to God. The way that we come to Christ and become a Christ follower is we bring all of the, the junk, the, 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 the hatred for a king to rule over me, the, the, the evil, wicked passion in me that wants to be my own king. The way you become a follower of Christ is you surrender your sin to Christ. We surrender our fears to God. 
We surrender our rights. We surrender our wealth. We don't just pay taxes to Caesar. We give all of our wealth to God and say, God, whatever you want, it all belongs to you. You just take it and move it around. Thanks for letting me use some of it. It all belongs to you. We surrender our political positions to God. We surrender our family to God. We surrender our sexuality to God. We surrender our whole lives to God. The final verse here sums up the story. It says, And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. All in favor of more of that, less talking, more silence, more marveling, less posting. When was the last time that you marveled at the answers of Jesus? That's what took place in this story. His answers transcended their questions. So, would Jesus wear a mask? I honestly have no idea. I, I, I do know this. I do know that Jesus wore a crown of thorns for you. I do know that Jesus wore a cross of wood on His back for you. And as He died there on that cross and He was taken down before they placed Him in the tomb, He didn't just have a linen cloth placed over His face. His whole body was wrapped in a burial cloth for you. And for three days, He laid there conquering sin, claiming His rightful authority over all other kingdoms. And on early Sunday morning, His disciples went there with the women and they stepped in and they didn't see a body. They saw those linen cloths laying aside as demonstration that Christ is risen. I don't know if He would wear a cloth into a store. I do know this. He's wearing a crown today. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And we live as citizens of His kingdom. And we are exiles and sojourners in the kingdoms of this world. Well, those are timely words from Pastor Trent Griffith about our responsibilities as believers interacting with a broken and hurting world. He gave that message last May when one point of contention was whether or not we should be required to wear a mask. How relevant these principles are today when there's division and disunity in almost every area of public life. You know, there's a simple yet powerful sentence that's been attributed to the early church father, Augustine of Hippo. He said, in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity or love. And don't we need more of this today? Trent is a senior pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger. And if you're looking for a church where God's word is taught unapologetically, as you just heard, consider Gospel City Church. Our web address is mygospelcity.org. That's where you'll find more information about gathering times and our physical address. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. On Facebook, you can find us by searching for Gospel City Church. 
Well, hasn't the series on divine deconstruction been so good? We need to have Jesus readjust our thinking on so many different subjects. Next week on Resonate, Pastor Trent will continue in the Gospel of Luke and show us how Jesus wants to deconstruct our excuses for unbelief. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's Word and His peace would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.